Cheers. Cheers, man. What are you drinking? What is your beverage tonight? <laughs> Iced tea. Okay. I have water. Again. Quality H2O. Sean's staying hydrated, training for his half. He's ready for yeah. it. Oh, I'm ready for it. My my seven this morning was so easy, except it, it just always – I feel great during it, but then, like, at the end, it, it just, like, an hour or two later, I need a nap, no matter when I run. <laughs> you got to you gotta eat more. I mean, I'm, I'm eating, but I also, like there, – there's the balance between, like, you can eat so much, and then you have to nap because you ate too much, and then, like, you don't eat enough, and you got to nap because you you're tired and hungry. Yeah. yeah. So, all right. So today's episode was a listener request. Today mm -hmm. we are covering hippos, but not just hippos. No. We're going to debate whether or not hippos would be a good food source. And uh, that's because back in or 1910, they said it almost happened. I immediately thought this was the greatest thing ever, and Sean hated it. <laughs> well, because Colin left out an important detail that it was a partial alternative to cows. Yeah, it was an alternative yeah. to cows. Everybody is falling out of their seats right now. They can't believe that it would be replacing cows. They can't believe that anybody would stick with cows. Uh, yeah. All right. Let's, okay. Let's get into okay. It. We already know that hippos are super important to today's culture. All right. <laughs> you know the movie Madagascar, right? Boom. I've and, never heard of that one. Oh, get out of here. Fantasia, <laughs> another super fantastic. Hippos, super important. Everybody knows a dancing hippo. Then we have the hippopotamus song, H-I-P-P-O, I know. Then comes P-O-T. Yeah. And I want a hippopotamus for Christmas. So clearly, hippos have been underlying in society for a while now. But I don't know why people like them, like in pop culture. I don't know what the deal is around that. Dude, like, what are you talking about? They're so awesome. Um, well, I like, like Madagascar and Fantasia. I don't know about those examples because there's so many other animals in them. Dude. You mention Fantasia to anybody, and they're going to know about the hippos and the tutus, all right? It's guaranteed. Guaranteed. Yeah, they'll think about that, but they're going to think about Mickey Mouse, though, mainly. All right. Everybody has their own opinion, Sean. <laughs> That's why we're having this conversation, because our opinions are different. <laughs> so after doing some research on this, I literally became very, very into hippos. Uh, I read three books on hippos and uh, listen to a bunch of podcasts about hippos. So I got to say I am pro hippo. I got some fun facts for us. They are like a dwindling population and that's mostly due to uh, their being poached, like hunted and their environment being destroyed. And the people are poaching them and eating them, by the way, just uh, keep that in your cap for later. <laughs> Or they're, selling the ivory. And they're selling the, their teeth as well. So they're, they come from the Greek name for water horse. Uh, they can, in groups, they're called a bloat, a pod, or a siege. The groups can be up to 200. Uh, a hippo can weigh up to like 8,000, 9,000 pounds. 
fastest leg speed, 32 miles an hour. Skin is nearly bulletproof. It can't swim, but it can hold its breath underwater for up to five minutes. That's kind of kind of ironic, too, this animal. Yeah. Because it can't it, swim, but it lives in the water. Basically lives in the water. <laughs> we'll get into its hydration issues later. It does need to stay hydrated. Um, I already is- see flaws in this animal's existence. That's no, all man. I'm saying with that fact. Closest relatives are pigs, which is one of our main food sources, or whales and dolphins. Nobody orders pork chops at a steakhouse for a reason. But you do have pork chops. And people do order whale <laughs> at a steakhouse, all right? Go to Iceland. What? Yes, go to Iceland. Peter's going to hate me, but I ate whale in Iceland. Was it good? Yeah, dude, it was fantastic. Really? Okay. Yeah. Uh, all right. So the there are two types of hippos. Uh, there's like the large common and the pygmy hippo. And the pygmy hippo we'll touch on a little bit later. All right, Sean, you ready for uh, story time? Oh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready. Hit me with it. All right. So basically the overall story of this is – Back in 1910, there was a a food crisis, and the plan was to import hippos into Louisiana's uh, swamplands, right? Mm -hmm. They have high – they have very little fat, and they high yield in protein, roughly 1,200 pounds of meat per an average-sized hippo. All right. I didn't know that they were low in fat. Yeah, they're, like, high in, like – I think it's unsaturated fats – so mm-hmm. you actually, if you were to cook them, just saying, you wouldn't have to worry about it sticking to the pan. Mm. So it's, it, was, it was all the way up to the Congress. Like it was very much a thought because in Louisiana, there's this thing called the water hyacinth and it was polluting the Mississippi River and fish were dying. So it was proposed as sort of a win-win in Congress as, hey, we can give you this lake cow bacon and it'll solve our water hyacinth issue and it'll give us a solve to the meat crisis that's going on in America. Ready for this? This is the crazy part. And from here on, it's going to sound like fiction, but this is, again, a true story. And it's a story of two spies. So... <laughs> Frederick Russell Burnham was a frontiersman uh, in, and he was in the colonial African wars. He's considered a man's man. He is the inspiration for the Boy Scouts as well as Indiana Jones. So as a famed scout, he could live on his own in the woods. He, during the wars, he was a spy cutting off supply lines and gathering secret intel. Nicknamed the King of the Scouts, because he'd be able to push himself beyond the limit. So he would go days without eating, as well as he could even slow his own heartbeat. So he's the David Blaine of nature right now. Hmm. This guy is sharp as a tack. During, uh, one of the, so he had a bunch of stories, as you can imagine. So he was talking to people, telling them a story about some crazy time during the war. Or when he was growing up. And the crowd was like, oh, like they were so enthralled with him. And he turns and he goes, I'll get the snake later when I'm done. And everybody was like, what are you talking about? And they pointed over there. He was like, there's a snake behind us. And they were like, oh, Hmm. 
This man is described as half jackrabbit, half wolf. A man totally without fear. How does he sound to you, Sean? Sounds like an okay guy. Sounds like a guy I could get behind anything he puts forward. Right? So he sounds like a guy that might be a little bit off his rocker, too, if he's going a couple days without eating. All right, Just Sean. putting that out there. I know what side of the argument this guy's on. That's also why I'm saying that. He's mentally <laughs> strong. He is, dude. If you can survive starvation, you're you're yeah. definitely a total badass. All he right? he is definitely mentally strong. All right, let's get a little bit that. more into how crazy cool this guy is. When mm-hmm. he was two years old, his house was getting attacked uh, by like Native Americans, and his mom stashed him away in corn husks, like shucks corn. And like he was hiding in there and then she ran away. She comes back the next morning. The house is completely burnt down, but he is still waiting in the corn husk. He didn't move all night. At like 13 or 14, he became a delivery boy and he was riding horses. And you know how typically like people get tired, they'll, they'll stop. Well, he would keep riding and switch horses and keep going throughout the night so he could travel along faster. Eventually, I think his parents passed away. Not 100% sure on that. But he started living with some other family. He ended up running away from them because he didn't like the lifestyle that they were living and ended up getting trained in scouting by a man named Holmes. <clears throat> yeah. And then that's, my- that's straight out of a movie. Oh, right. It's like wild. And then while he was on his like expeditions and like the wild in order to make sure that he wouldn't be like making fires or anything that would like attract people or so you could stay kind of incognito. He would eat this cake uh, that was made of like powdered jerky, like beer jerky, deer jerky and flour. And then he would bake it into a loaf. And then he would survive off that by like one pound a day. It kind of reminds me of like the elven food from Lord of the Rings. I don't know. Sounds too good to be true. Sounds kind of gross, but like I, I see that it's effective. I get Dude, it. It's got all the judicial, the truth, like the needs, the nutritional stuff that you need. That's sick. sort of, sort of. It's like protein and carbs. Yeah, he would also like, survive on ox blood and milk. I don't understand the ox blood at all. I think it adds the protein. Maybe maybe it's just a thing to show that he's a total badass. Like, yeah, I'll drink ox blood and I'll mix it with milk to give it some more like ugh death. Maybe he wasn't maybe he wasn't human. Like part like random ox type vampire or something. I don't know. An ox like a chupacabra. <laughs> what? I've the heard that suckers, before. A chupacabra. You've never heard of a chupacabra. I've heard of it. I I just don't know what it is. They're like the goat suckers. Oh, that it We'll get into that another time, but that is okay. that's a whole other like cryptozoology thing that we can get into. Uh, so while he was growing up, he decided he always wanted to go to Africa. So he decided to follow his dreams and help out in the Boer War. Ton of stuff happened here. None of it has to do with hippos. So we're going to skip it. But if you want to, there's a great article online called American Hippopotamus. It's, I think it's a book as well. Uh, great story goes through everything. I'm just going to give the, the highlights of it. Basically, he was the chief of scouts for England and South Africa. He was cutting off supply lines, being a spy. 
his main opposite side, there were two men. Uh, one was known as the Black Panther of the Veld, and this was Fritz Duquesne. This guy is a little bit of a mystery. It was said that he came up with his tactics from watching a panther stalk his prey. So he was described as the human epitome of sin and deception. Walking, living, breathing, searing, killing, destroying torch of hate. Mm. Not exactly the same as uh, Frederick Burnham. Described a little bit differently. (laughs) So throughout the war, they were tasked to kill each other. Burnham eventually left the war due to an injury and didn't return because he had like family matters going on. He had a kid, Um, but he was friends with Teddy Roosevelt and Teddy Roosevelt loved the ideas of the hippopotamus ranching. And he actually told newspapers of his approval. So when the idea was originally like shot out, it was described as pitched as transplanting African animals. The goal was to solve the meat crisis in 1910. There wasn't enough land for cows to graze on, which was the main issue. And it was so bad that people started thinking about eating dogs, right? Now, Sean, that's a little much for me. Do you think that this guy, since he was living in Africa for a while, you think he had ownership over a bunch of hippos? No way, dude. They're definitely one. No way. He didn't own a hippo ranch there. I think they were just wild animals. Maybe he was very aware of their whereabouts and could facilitate sales. Well, he's, yeah, for sure. He could yeah. definitely, there was definitely a profit to be made for him. Uh, yeah. He was very familiar with the African out, like, outback, and he could do pretty much anything in the area. I mean, that dude could survive, like, alone in the wilderness for days on end. All right, so they were free range. The idea was free range hippos in Florida, Louisiana, and Mississippi. That would solve the problem. The biggest hurdle was that people said uh, they were assuming that people wouldn't want to eat them. Yeah. Which I've looked up how it would taste, man. Depending on how you cook it, it could taste like pork. It could taste like brisket. It could taste like steak. There's so many different options. You can put in stew. Taste is not taste is not an argument anybody can have against the hippopotamus. When we compare it to steak, though, there is I mean it's good. Steak is good, you know. The thing. Yeah, like I I mean if you're saying like like a nice hippo fillet or something versus ground beef, you know, from the bottom shelf of the store, like yeah, like that's crap cow meat, but Well, you could also make ground hippo meat, so yeah, which I'm sure is pretty mediocre also still. Yeah, just like burgers are mediocre. Yeah, so. it's just like ground beef. Like ground beef is ground beef. Yeah, but when you're cooking a steak, you know how sometimes you have to use some sort of like olive oil or something to make it non-stick to the pan? I mean, if, if we're going top-notch, you don't have to use that with like Wagyu. Yeah. Okay. All right. So, yeah. Because they're, they're you, fatty enough that it melts the fat. You got to compare it to like the highest quality to even try and get it to compete against hippo meat is what you're trying to say right now. Okay. I, I that's that's a good shot at me, but I don't I don't know. All right. I'm not sold yet. <laughs> no worries. We're going to get there. <laughs> mm-hmm. So the bill was proposed uh for 
250,000 dollars uh in 1910 so basically that's 7.18 billion dollars today and it was introduced by robert broussard who was the louisiana congressman uh he loved this idea because it involved the water hyacinth issue so back in 1884 they were given as a gift from a japanese delegate ended up being super invasive and clogging up all the waterways uh they they wouldn't die people they tried killing them they tried getting rid of them nothing was working but hippos would eat them our next big contender in this uh hippo revolution would be william newton Irwin, and he was a researcher and he had a uh, experience trying to switch the public's opinion on meats and different like things one of the things that he was really trying to push was chicken eggs to turkey eggs because they last longer. Erwin was told the best way to solve the meat problem would be to use the land we didn't like we couldn't use, such as the swamps. So hippos were the natural solution to this. So again, there wasn't enough grazing land, so they were like, well, why don't we just use the swamps? He said that hippos would eat the water hyacinth, which they love it. People don't eat hippos because their neighbors don't eat hippos. Basically saying, mm -hmm. if we started making it a mainstream thing, we can make it work. And I'm pretty sure that happened with liver and different parts of animals back in, like, the 50s. Um, yeah, liver became a thing. I have no interest in ever trying liver, but <laughs> allegedly the, the narrative is, is that it's healthy for you, but it, it's also liver and it doesn't look good. Or And I'm yeah. sure they could tell you that hippo... Uh, hippos healthy yeah. for you, and then it probably would have become popular. So, Sean, maybe of, I'm, I'm thinking like maybe your argument would be like, "Hey, why would we import a foreign animal here?" Well, Sean, don't worry. Irwin had an answer for that one. Cows, mm -hmm. pigs, sheep, and poultry were all also brought over. Just saying. Camels have been brought over in the past. And this is something that was really cool. It was sort of a side tangent that I noticed from a lot of people is that camels were brought over to help in one of the wars, like in like the desert in the early 1900s. And it was working really well, but people were getting made fun of for riding the camels. Yeah, it's funny. <laughs> like, I can't picture that. Like, I can't, I can't picture like, like them being like, damn, like these, these like horse things with humps on them are really working well for these guys. Like, but they look like idiots over there. Dude, are you kidding me? People, people make fun of people all the time for like their clothes and like their shoes. Yeah. But like, if you're at like a war or something. Dude, you're just messing like, around. Like, dude, these, you're just. <laughs> these guys, these guys are over here killing us, but they look like fucking idiots, man. <laughs> Well, it was people on their own side that were making fun of them. Okay. I thought it was like the other side, like, damn, like, yeah, we're getting our butt kicked, but they look like dumbasses. <laughs> that would be unreal, just getting your ass beat by, like, a camel. People are like, yo, your camels are ugly. <laughs> yeah, as they're dying. Maybe that's, like, a little bit of a tactic. Like, we got to get them off these things. You got to embarrass them one way or another. Let's just make fun of these guys until they give up. Yeah. So... If you recall, Fitz Duquesne, he, from earlier, he actually was the next guy that they brought in to help uh, as, like, sort of another expert in Africa or from Africa. So mm -hmm. 
there's a lot of stuff that's really tricky about this dude because he is kind of a con artist, just to put it kind of lightly. Uh, so the dude kept reinventing himself. I think throughout the story, he had maybe like 15 names. Uh, so a lot of this, again, is going to be hard to understand whether or not it was true. He lived as a boar. Uh, and he ate hippos at a young age. He would collect fat and sell it when he was a kid. So think of Fight Club, you know, when they got the soap, like the bags of fat. Uh, he studied war in Belgium. And then one time during the Boer War, he uh, was captured in prison, dug himself out using a spoon, Shawshank Redemption style, but the tunnel collapsed in on him. Don't worry. He had a second attempt. He escaped by seducing the jailer's daughter. Love it. <laughs> yeah, the, these two situations, like, in one situation, at first I, I thought, like, like, when you first told me this, I thought that, like, he was in, like, a cell or something that was, like, in a public area that, like, mm -hmm he'd be able to have like passing conversation with people or something where like people could mock him or whatever. But then I was like, in the first scenario, he dug himself out of prison. So he's clearly locked up somewhere. That's not easy to get out of <laughs> what the, what is the jailer's daughter doing over there? Why is she there? What kind Why of father is, is this? <laughs> yeah. What kind of father is this? That is like, Oh yeah. Come spend the spend Saturday afternoon in prison with me. Come on. <laughs> Just come on. This, this is our daddy-daughter time. Yeah. Like, come on. No, there's, <laughs> there are better things to do with your kids and your family than bring them to work when you work in a prison. It was bring your daughter to work day, and he had no other option. He was like, well, damn, I guess. She's not going to school today. She's going to come in with me. Yeah. <laughs> uh, so another thing that was a, like a known fact about him was that he hates British. The story was... He was told that his uncle, who was like his father figure, was tied up and then murdered by soldiers. The same soldiers then took turns raping his sister. Then they raped his mother and then took her to a prison camp. And when he found her, she was like dying and she swore. And then he swore on like while she was dying, he was like, I'll take revenge on the British. Mm -hmm. Again, how much of that story do we know is fact? We don't. Uh, but after the war, he left and came to America. He eventually hustled himself into the White House and worked as a consultant for Teddy Roosevelt uh, for some of his hunts. And then afterward, he wrote about the president in both a positive and negative light, basically whichever way would make him more money. So in the mm -hmm. beginning, people were loving the idea that Teddy Roosevelt was going on the hunt. So he wrote about how great they were. And then people started to turn their views. So then he was like, oh, this guy's trying to pretend that he's a native. Um, but he told them it was totally fine to eat, uh, hippos and cause his people did it all the time. Like back in Africa, he was like, oh yeah, all the time. Totally normal. Burnham and Duquesne were both sent out to Louisiana to help plan some basics. And now we have another character entering, which is Elliot Lord. And he was a New York city writer and inventor who also happened to join this crew. So this dude was sketchier than Duquesne. And the whole time that this was trying to get passed, he kept saying he was writing letters and receiving letters from heads of different organizations on different projects. And how like there was, oh, we're going to get these people, but we need to do this first and we'll talk to them. 
Burnham, our man, did not trust him. So I mm-hmm. do not trust him. Uh, and then he was just kept being like, Burnham, you need to get us money first, and then we can get everything rolling. Burnham didn't want to post an idea to his friends until they had an actionable plan, which I think totally makes sense. Yeah, I agree. Uh, Broussard kept getting busy with other things. He was trying to make the world's fair go to New Orleans. Uh, Duquesne, on the meanwhile, he kept writing articles about being a hippo expert and how like great they were, and he kept sending them to everyone. He started to get really pissed, though, because he was writing all day long, or so he says, uh, to the point where his, his hands were like starting to hurt, and then he'd have to switch to a typewriter. Uh, so he was going crazy writing, and he wanted payment for what he was doing. And then what really pissed him off is that somebody else, some fisherman in California, was like, oh, the animal African animal importation idea was mine. So McCain hmm. just got super pissed because he's been grinding all this time. And then he's calling Burnham. He's like, yo, we got to do something. But Burnham's like, yo, we need a plan first. And then it starts to get a little iffy. Basically, Burnham then gets called to help out in the Mexican Revolutionary War. And then World War I happened where Burnham also helped. Broussard kept waiting to put his plan out again. But eventually it just kept getting pushed and pushed and pushed. Uh, the Another thing that stopped it was the Department of Agriculture eventually decided industrial farming made more sense than trying to adapt to the environment. So basically what they ended up doing was taking bad, unusable lands and just making them into grazing lands for cows. Irwin hmm. then died within a year of the congressional hearing, but his papers were uh, still released. And one was actually on pygmy hippos, which we mentioned earlier, and that was that they'd be easier to control, so they would make for a better option just in case, like, the big hippo idea didn't get pushed through. Okay. Duquesne had some banquets in Washington and New York to showcase some potential imported animals. A bunch of different animals for food. Ostriches, hippos, um, just a bunch of random food from Africa or animals from Africa that he turned to food. But... Uh, during World War I, when the U.S. teamed up with Britain and not Germany, he got super pissed, and he ended up working with the Germans. So during World War I, Duquesne and Burnham again were on opposite sides. Duquesne then gets arrested for insurance fraud, basically because he was he had these ideas that he would go film for like the locations that Teddy Roosevelt was going to. And one of the, like, he got major funding for the films too, but one of the films got blown up, but he was the guy blowing up ships and supply lines during World War One. So he blew up one of his own ships and they caught him. They're like, you're just doing this to make money. Mm. But he escaped prison again. Basically, he what a guy. He faked paralysis, right, in the legs. He pretended uh-huh. he couldn't walk. Every day when he would go to the bathroom, he would vigorously massage his legs to keep the muscles moving. And then eventually he got his chance and he ran away. So I like can't picture that because like, you know, like a long day at work and you sit at the desk all day and you don't get up and then you get up and you go for a walk or something and you run and your legs are just so tight. Like that's only, that's only like one day of sitting. Like I can't imagine acting paralyzed. So 
have you ever seen um Avatar the Last Airbender? Yeah. Do you remember Uncle Iroh? Yeah. Remember when he was in prison and he was pretending to be fat and like dying? Ah. Uh, <laughs> but they cutscene. They would like leave. shit. Yeah. <laughs> That's what I'm picturing this guy was doing. Like every day he was like, oh, I can't move. I can't move. All of a sudden they leave. He's like, oh, oh. Ooh. Yeah, getting crazy. That that's yeah. just my guess. That was awesome. You're right. I can see that. <laughs> Dropping down, acting paralyzed, knocking out hundreds of like body weight squats a day and lunges. Just got to get through it. Got to get through it. Mm -hmm. um, Burnham wrote his whole life story down. It's a book called Taking Chances. Eventually, Duquesne was caught again, except this time it was during World War II, and it was because it was he was running it like a Nazi spy. Last thing that I want to point out, which is uh, my kind of key takeaway here, is the water hyacinth, Sean, mm -hmm. still costing Louisiana $2 million a year. And that's why we should import it. I don't believe the when, – when you look at, like, a basic, like – cost analysis of the entire thing how much we benefit how much we save versus how much it's going to cost to do it i don't think it's worth it what are you talking about There's two million dollars a year is all that it costs louisiana to maintain these highest things right yeah well to just just to keep them from growing more yeah okay whatever keep that's them fine. At okay fine so $2 million a year to keep them as is, whatever. Government right now is spending trillions of dollars. So $2 million is absolutely nothing in terms of government money. That's like forgotten about money. That's like, like, oh, you only skimmed $2 million off the top of that bill for yourself? Come on, man. Like, why are you even in Congress? Um, All right. But yeah. if we could deal with that extra $2 million, think of where that could go, Sean. And I'm not seeing where it could go, but simple that's, that's not even what Import the hippos import the hippos simple pr problem solved. So we, when looking at this, so there is a couple like pricing and, and it's tough to find real pricing, but um, there was a zoo zoo cost that put out like how much it costs them to transport a hippo. It's around $5,000 just for them to transport it to the United States. And that's not feeding, which feeding is covered in this situation, but that's not anything other than transporting. But that also wouldn't include the purchasing, because if we're talking like private farmers, there's not really a price to go off of other than the pygmy hippo price because people have them as pets. And the going price for that is $100,000. All right, Sean. But there's this little issue going on in Colombia right now which uh -huh. actually I feel like is probably my biggest win. And that would be Pablo Escobar's hippos. Now, everybody that's listening, if you know nothing, you're about to go on a ride. Pablo Escobar <laughs> had basically his own mini zoo in like where he lived. And once he got like arrested or killed by the government, they, they took all of his everything. They started putting other animals into zoos, but they left the hippos. There were four hippos 
one guy and three girl hippos. And today, there are about 50. So, so I, I would say that that's, that's an awesome idea to do something with those hippos. And I mean, so there are about 50 and Pablo Escobar died in 1993. So that's pretty fast reproduction. And fun fact, the hippos are actually reproducing way quicker there, which means in the United States, they would probably also reproduce quicker because of the plentiful food and great living conditions. So if we can take some of those hippos, bring them to Louisiana, they'll eat the water hyacinths, they'll breed like wild animals, and they'll breed quicker, two years instead of those seven. And boom, we are cooking. Well, seven just isn't manageable. If seven yeah. is the only number you have to work with, you there's, can't there's, no, there's no shot. No way. Um, Speaking like of cows, go ahead. Escobars, the reason why people have like also thought about his food is Pablo Escobars, one of them tried, they tried like electric fencing, didn't work. The hippo got shocked and died by accident, but the locals just came and ate the hippo. <laughs> Jeez. Free food. Look at this. Yeah. Why like, oh, this is sweet. Um, all right. So yeah. Two years is a maybe, but it would have, there'd have to be so much more than 50. Bro, they reproduce Even, like wild animals. Sir. Yeah, but in, in almost 30 years, they go from four to 50. That's and not huge. Trying to breed them. Yeah, but it isn't the idea to like just kind of let them go in like like a contained swamp area in Louisiana. At first, yes, Sean, but there's money to be made here. All right, let's think about it. You could also sell the ivory tusks and potentially their skin because it's bulletproof. It's two inches thick. I do think potentially their skin. Uh, but I don't agree with the ivory because the ivory – people want the ivory because they can't have elephant ivory. But then if we start breeding hippos, it's going to flood the market, and it would be like – like at first it's like – like think about like cars. Like everybody wants a Ferrari or something. So – but they're like – they want them because they're scarce. If all of a sudden in 10 years – there's a Ferrari everywhere you go, and every other guy you know has one. Like, nobody's going to care. Great. We'll stop poaching in Africa then. It'll be great. <laughs> Everybody wins. Less poaching going on if we can provide them. Look at that, Sean. We just solved the poaching problem. <laughs> <laughs> but it doesn't fix the – it solves the poaching problem, but you can't profit off the ivory. We'll profit in the beginning. We'll make a ton of money until people start to realize that we're, we're hurting them. Mm. And then they'll be like, all right, these people are ranching hardcore. Um, so hippos eat about 80 pounds of grass a day. I believe cows eat up to 50. So I'm saying that's close enough. We, we, get, a lot of, we get a lot more meat out of the hippo. I'm being nice right now. I'll say it's close enough. All right. So the one thing we did mention that would be a serious issue, uh, which you had mentioned, is a little bit about their hydration, right? Yeah, like um, 
I don't know how much water they need to drink, but you said they live in the water because they just got to be wet all the time. Yeah, they got to right? be wet all the time. They do create a uh, this thing called blood sweat because doctors, I mean, I don't know who doctors, people that were studying them originally thought that they were bleeding out of all their pores, but it's actually like a layer of mucus that it's like sort of a natural sunscreen that protects them from infection. So even when they get wounds, like if they're attacked by an animal or something like that, or the water's gross and filthy, they don't actually get sick from it. Uh, while we're talking about getting attacked by other animals, they have no natural predators. So, I mean, they're going to be thriving in their habitats because basically they can mess up anybody's day. Like if a crocodile attacks them, they're like, not today, sir. So blood sweat, pretty cool stuff. That does create the problem, though, of once once it gets big enough to where they're not just free-ranging in the swampland and they've got to be more, like, modernized, the farms, like, you're just constantly going to have to have hoses going. Yeah, but think about, like, it'll be like a light spray, like a little – and then they'll get their little blood sweat going and everybody wins. Just a little mystery. I get, I get it. It's just, it's going to be a lot. Yeah. And hey, man, I don't know how much, but. Success isn't cheap. All right. <laughs> but when, when we're looking at a decision that's about money, you got to take into account. I think there's plenty of money to be made here. Uh, what else is there? Oh, so people consider them dangerous, right? They're wrong. All right. Colin doesn't consider them dangerous. That's bro. We're going to breed that out. We're breeding that out. All right. You could probably do that. I don't, I don't know if any of them have ever been tamed. Nobody's tried, man. I'm sure they, I'm a hundred percent sure someone somewhere, probably in South Africa where there, there are a lot of hippos. Someone has probably raised a hippo from birth and they're probably super friendly. We're breeding that out, Sean. Okay. Yeah. They kill 500 people a year. Dogs kill 25,000 people a year. Just saying. Okay. I think cows are friendly. Cows, maybe because they were bred that way, Sean. I think the original bull probably wasn't super friendly. And you know what? They said, let's export them to America, breed them to be friendly, and then eat them. Sound like anybody else's plan? I'm just saying we we got one that's going pretty well right now. All right. I'm just saying we'd add to it. It would be more of a supplement, right? So instead of having this, oh, cows only, it'd be more of like, you know how when you live by the coast, you eat fish? Yeah. It'd be the same kind of idea. If you live near the south, you eat hippo or you get better, fresher hippo. Yeah, this is the only hippo incorporation of just like incorporation of the meat into our society that I can get behind. Yeah, we're, I mean, if we're trying to push it as the main food source, which I think it should be, but it would be a little bit harder. It would be definitely, we'd have to do some, we basically have to re reshape the entire country, which I don't think is feasible at this no. moment, but it would be a good source of food. Also, like, what do you do with all the cows? Like, eat them. I, I mean, yeah, I guess, I guess you just don't let them 
you just don't breed them again. Yeah, you would just and lower. You, you eat them until they're gone. If we were replacing them, but I guess it would be like a phase out type thing. Yeah, eventually. Sean, yeah, I, don't, I don't think that's doable. Well, I know you have one counterpoint that you wanted to bring up about the waterways. What am I thinking? Oh, how they poop and how they, yeah. they kill the fish because yeah, their poop I... sucks the oxygen out of the water. I forgot about that one. The poop, the poop is their is their big downfall, but the water hyacinth is already doing that job first off. And then second off, Sean, mm-hmm. you know what else is causing the problem? Runoff from cattle farms. Mm. Oh yeah. So all that okay. cattle, the, the cows that you love so much are causing the same issues. Yeah, I, and I don't like I did see one thing where there are like types of animals that like like ecosystems or whatever that are surviving because of the hippo poop but like there's a lot of fish that just aren't doing well in those areas i'm sure they're probably also not doing well from cow runoff is cow they might not be (laughs) they might what they might not be but we we just gotta cows don't need to live in wetlands areas that is that is true. So they, they, there's a big difference there. Like, these guys got to be literally in the water where other fish are. I don't think there's a lot of swamp fish that we eat, but we're talking, like, Louisiana-type area. Like, that's going to flow into the Gulf of Mexico, and there's a lot of fish down that way that we probably eat. That's true, but yeah. we have a water hyacinth problem right now that's making the land uninhabitable anyway. Hmm. You got to take care of that. Um, fun fact about their poop, they as they poop, they, they do like a propeller type thing with their tail and they just shoot it everywhere. Because, I mean, come on. It's, it's got to be it, It's just kill as many fish in every <laughs> direction as possible. That's why. No way, man. No way. I will say that cows do not aim or have <laughs> any special facts to do with the way that they poop so what you're trying to say is they are not a superior form of food because they are not as cool i'm saying the way that they poop is not as exciting (laughs) can cows store two days worth of food inside of them and last up to three weeks without eating or is that just hippos that might just be hippos (laughs) i don't know if anybody is starving any cattle to see how long they can go but I don't think they're storing food in them like that. All I'm saying is, man, they seem pretty ideal as an option for food. I mean, a guy in Congo paid $5 for hippo meat, was able to last three to four days off of that food. What? Yeah. Um, Obviously, the prices wouldn't be that here, but if somebody was like $5 for almost a week where the hippo meat i'd be like yeah i'll take it here's 10. so you mentioned the price here it Mm. is illegal in the united states otherwise me and you would be eating hippo steak right now and oh yeah very long discussion about how much better it is than steak steak well i would have both in front of me i would have a regular steak and a hippo steak and hippo would taste better um we don't know that but 
one day we will have to leave the country to go to Africa and taste it. I don't even think it's legal there. <laughs> I'm pretty sure. Oh my god. It probably isn't because they're endangered, actually. Well, they're they're in danger of being endangered. They're not endangered yet. Oh. They're at risk of being endangered. Um, which is why that's a, that's a weird category. Yeah. But basically it's if animals could be at risk. So if their habitats are getting destroyed, uh, basically I pulled up a fact. I think it was in Congo during like before the war, they had, I think, 1,800 hippos. And now they're down to like, oh, no, they had 30,000 hippos in Congo in 1974. And now there are only 800. Hmm. Because people are eating them, Sean, because they're delicious. Wait, so what's. Are they not reproducing fast enough to keep up with the hungry population? I guess people just realize how, how good they are and, and you can make money off of their, their teeth. Mm. And they're like, well, let me just eat some hippos because this is the best way to do it. Hmm. All right. Final conclusion, Sean. Yes. Pro-hippo? No. Pro-beef? Pro-beef. All right. Any any sort of way you'd be willing, like if if this is your future, right? You're in control. Do you do anything with hippos or no? Mm, I would make it like a regional thing. I'd I'd have to get I'd have to get Africa to be okay, and like start introducing it into the culture, though. All right, all right. Like I I'd want to see some farming going on over there, and like see them making it work, or I really like your idea of just like offering to go like pick up the Colombians hippos and like start doing shit with that. That's, that's how I would do it. I say, don't worry about it. Columbia will take a few of them off your hands because the locals get pissed. If someone tries to kill their hippos, they're like, yo, these are our like mascots. We love them. Mm. Yeah. I could see that being a problem though, taking those, but I think that's the best idea. You get a bunch of free hippos from Columbia, bring them up here. And then um, you just make it like a regional thing or like some like, like, I, I don't know, like a fancy type dish that's only in Louisiana in the swamp areas. I think it would be the best. And I think I, it caused tourism, right? Because people would be like, oh, I got to go travel to try this exotic meat. Yeah, only can get it there. I can't. I don't know what else is kind of like that. I guess like Wagyu steak in Japan, you know. Yeah. So, or like like fancy tuna or something you get in Japan, like in a marketplace, you know. I I'd say it's definitely worth worth maybe the United States taking a second look at that bill from nineteen ten. Yeah. Regional food though is all I could do. It'll never replace the cow, and I think the cow is an overall better option to feed a nation. Regional food is the warm up. That's the way I look at it. We start we start at regional and then eventually mm -hmm. we grow from there. But we'll be farming hippos soon enough. That was my rancher voice. Hence my outfit. <laughs> Very appropriate outfit. It was too hot today for me to do a flannel. I couldn't do it. I'm I'm dripping sweat, but I'll, I'll do it for the hippos, man. <laughs> uh.
All right, All right Sean, guys. Do you wanna do you wanna tell our fans what the next episode is? Yeah, so we're gonna we're gonna talk about the lifestyle and just absurdity also and, and what goes into ultra marathon running. Um there's a lot going on with that that type of thing. But basically normal marathon twenty six miles, ultra marathon fifty, hundred miles plus. It's gonna be a fun one, guys. It's going to be a fun one. Colin and I both ran in high school and college. So I feel like this is just, I don't know, running is a big part of our life. This is a crazy, yeah, crazy running situation and story and group of people. And uh, yeah, it's going to be a good one. So guys, that's what you should know about hippos. Again, if you want any fun hippo stories, American Hippopotamus or River of Teeth is a alternate history book. And there's a sequel to that as oh well. Oh my and God. I, I, read, I read both of those. Fantastic. But cheers. Cheers. And that's what you should know about American Hippopotamus ranching. Yeah. Yeah. Thanks, guys. Thanks. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube, <laughs> Instagram. <laughs> Email us at the WYSK podcast at gmail.com. Thank you, guys. I'll put it in the description. Cheers. <laughs> Break. <laughs>